Slick V on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. God is calling me. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always with my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, I don't want to waste any time because we've got a fun episode today. We're joined by a special guest this week. We're very excited to introduce, but Daniel, fun week ahead. Unlike last week, a lot of ranked matchups this week. And we welcome back another conference. Pac-12 is here. We're going to be talking about them. That's exciting. But Jacob... The thing I'm most excited about is our guest. So why don't you introduce our friend? Because he's your friend. You're the one that got him on the show. So very excited to have him. So we've got Chris Burnett with us. Chris works with me at Chick-fil-A, but probably most known for his time playing offensive line for the University of Georgia. So super excited to have Chris Burnett on with us. Chris, I'd love for you to tell us a little about yourself, um, You know, your time at Georgia, your family, your wife current job we get to work together yeah (laughs) no awesome thank you guys Jacob Daniel for having me it's definitely an honor um and Jacob you know just from our relationship and the the few conversations we've had like you're a fun guy to be around so I definitely could not pass up the opportunity to to hop on with y'all um just to to give a little bit of I guess information about myself like you said you know I, I played for the dogs from 2009 to 2013, um, currently working at Chick-fil-A in, in restaurant development. Been there, actually, I just hit my one year anniversary. It seems like it was just yesterday that I started. It's been a, a dream come true, just um, working for a company of, of such high integrity, but also just so incredible business uh, leaders who I've learned so much from. And, and personally, man, just you know, married to my wife, Arielle, for, Seven years going on eight. We're getting close to that, I guess. I guess we're seven and a half right now, um, but been together for 10 years. We actually got married my senior year um, at UGA. So our wedding had, you know, probably the who's who of college football at Georgia during that time um, with over 250 people there. It was super awesome. But she is easily the my better half. Um, incredible woman. She has her own business. Um, and I'm just still trying to hope that she doesn't realize that I'm not in her league. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's really my, that's really been my goal uh, over the past 10 years or so. Hey, that's all of our hope, right? Just yeah. c- keep them convinced that we're enough. <laughs> no question. Right. No question, man. No question. Well, Chris, I mean, while we have you, we're just, I mean, Obviously, we want to, you know, get to know more about you, what kind of behind the scenes, different things like that. Um, One of our favorite things is just kind of finding out about guys you played with, things we don't really know. So who who's your favorite teammate and just maybe why that was, um, you know, during your time at Georgia? Man. That, that is such a loaded question because uh, – Don't worry. Most of them probably don't listen to the show, so you're good there. <laughs> they will. They will. I, I will make sure that they do. Um, but, I, you know, I had so many roommates at Georgia, and all of those guys I feel like have a special place in my heart for sure. Like my freshman year was rooming with Aaron Murray, Orson Charles, Chase Vassar. You know, that first year you have so many incredible memories of just – trying to learn the ropes and figure it out, try not to die together. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's really like your motivation. So, you know, those guys, incredible, like Jarvis Jones, him coming from USC, like I've known him since we were both 
16 years old playing each other at Car- oh. Carver, Columbus, and I was at Troop County. Uh, so it was really special to, to kind of have him there. Um, you know, and going along the lines of guys who are just incredibly talented, like guys mm-hmm. who just transcend the position, like Todd Gurley, A.J. Green, um, even like Cordy Glenn, Ben Jones, people who are just so excellent at what they do that they, they seem really special. But um, I'd say my favorite teammates were like the last two roommates uh, for me. Um, my roommate, Ruben Falogi, um, he was a walk-on guy. We came in together in 2009. Um, he earned a scholarship through just hard work and grit um, out of Evans in, in uh, South Augusta. And he just was a, a different guy. He was someone who had a perspective on um, just being excellent on and off the field. And he did so much in social justice. Like that's one of my best friends was in my wedding, et cetera. Like that's, that's one of my brothers. And then the other guy I would say is my favorite teammate would be uh, Canarius Gates. He played uh, left guard, left tackle um, for Georgia during the same period. Um, being from Greenville, we always had that in common. And he was my recruit when I, like he was on his official visit. It was post, it, it, he had already signed his letter of intent, but because he had never did a, a, an official visit at Georgia, they kind of squeezed one in in late February. And I gave him the worst time of his life. I, <laughs> I, he, he came and I was not a partier. So we like played NCAA and I was like cutting guys' hair. Like that's how I made money in college. So I, I spent half of his official visit uh, with me cutting some people's hair, <laughs> which, is, which is just terrible. But You're I'm, like, I'm, we already but, got the signature, bro. We're not trying yeah. to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it was like really left to prove. But man, he was he was my roommate on the road for three years straight. So from okay. 2011 to 2013, before every game, we had rituals together. We were. Like, that's my brother. Um, you know, I'm the godfather to his daughter. Um, and it, he was also at my wedding, like, one of my closest friends. And, um, you know, still talk to those guys to this day. So if I had to choose two, it, it would definitely be Ruben Falogi and Arias Gates. Yeah, you hear that, Aaron Murray? Not his favorite. Right, yeah. He's not going to listen to this. Right. No. <laughs> but but Aaron, Aaron does know this. Aaron knows that my feelings about him being the greatest, like, maybe not the best, he is, but he is the greatest quarterback in Georgia history, and I'm willing to go blow for blow with anybody on that. Like, I believe that with my entire heart. I'm with, I'm you, with you, man. <laughs> I've got a picture yeah. of him on my desk that's signed. I mean, yeah. we go way back, you know. It's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So, I mean, let's go from, from a high to a low here. You played at Georgia for five years. Yeah. Toughest moment as a football player. Man, uh, so there's plenty, but I, I'll hit on two. Um, the first one being one that we actually didn't even talk about earlier, uh, Jacob, <laughs> but it, being 2010, actually, um, I came in, I was, I was a more touted recruit. I was very hard on myself to try to become disciplined, put on the weight, get ready. And in 2010, I had an opportunity as a redshirt freshman to, to play um, in the second game of the season against South Carolina. Um, and coming into that game, I was prepared. I felt ready. Um, but I wound up getting a concussion earlier in that week. So they, they allowed me to travel, but they kind of were like, hey, we're, we're going to kind of sit you out, play it, play it safe. Um, and then going into the following week, I was getting prepared, ready to go at the end of a Wednesday practice, probably the last five minutes of the day. I wound up dislocating my patella and tearing um, my MCL, PCL, LCL. 
and basically I, I thought it, it should have been the end of my career. Um, but I, I would say during that period of time, it was probably the lowest I was um, emotionally in my time at Georgia. I, I, I didn't know if I'd be able to play again. Um, when I finally was starting to rehab, I didn't feel like I was the same player. I had to kind of relearn the game. And it was just a very difficult time. It was the first time where I really had a wane in confidence. And um, that I would say personally, that was my hardest. Um, but on the field, <laughs> there, there's one moment that stands out the most by far, and that's uh, the 2012 SEC championship game against Alabama. And really just the way that that whole thing played out. Like I, I can, I feel like, recall every moment of that last drive, but to not bore you with the specifics. I'll never forget when Aaron, you know, made the strike to get us down to the, you know, the five yard line um, in, in our hearts and minds, we never thought we'd lose the game. Uh, I remember even being on the sideline. Um, one of my models or one of the things I would always tell to, to the team is just do what we do. Like keep it simple. We don't have to get outside of ourselves. If we come into the play and we come into each moment and do what we know we're supposed to do, no one could beat us. Um, and so when we got back on the field, I anticipated us to get there. I, I knew we would get into the red zone. I knew we'd give ourselves a shot. Um, but I'll never forget after he made that strike, I made eye contact with Boss Andrews, you know, Super Bowl champion, Tom Brady's old right-hand man when he was playing for the Patriots. We made eye contact, and both of us went like this which anyone who's seen the video, you know that that means spike the ball. And, you know, Boss and I were kind of the, the main communicators on the line. Like, we were the ones who kind of got everyone set, made sure we had the right calls, et cetera. Um, and as we did that and we confirmed, like, okay, yeah, we're on the same page, we both turned our head to look at Aaron, and Aaron's not doing that. <laughs> so I start freaking out, like, wait a second. <laughs> he, he's supposed to be doing this too. Like, why is he not doing that? He's looking to the sideline, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Like, what? He's, he's trying to get a play. Like, he, there's someone's telling him to look for a play. Sure enough, I'm like, dude, are we spiking it? I, I remember, like, after, like, 10, like 20 yards of us running and looking at <laughs> the response, we're like, are we spiking it? He's like, get lined up, get lined up. <laughs> so we said, oh, okay. So me and Boss look at each other. We line up. We're like, all right, get your splits, all that other stuff. And there's no play call. Like, if you guys remember in 2012, that was the first year we actually did the no huddle. So it was like, there was a bunch of like hand signals. And, and when it came to our, our pass protection, it was normally just a call from Aaron. He would say, hey, um, we're running 562 or whatever. And then we just base our calls off of that. We never got a call. We never got a protection. <laughs> so Aaron gets on the center <laughs> and I know he's getting ready to snap it. So we boss say, hey, hey, islands. Which basically means every man for like himself. Zone block it, yeah. Yeah, and like if somebody's on you, block them. Otherwise, just look for somebody to hit. Uh, which is probably not the best thing to do when there's 10 seconds left in the SEC championship game and you're like in the red zone. Um, so we do islands. I'd never forget. We snapped the ball. I didn't. I didn't do anything. I just kind of stood up, and Quentin Dial came off the ball, and we just kind of looked at each other. I just kind of touched him. And I'm like, look, he's looking in the backfield to see if Aaron's throwing the ball. I'm looking at the receivers to see where he throws the ball to. And sure enough, T.J. Mosley makes the greatest play, I, I feel like, in that game. He's probably top five football players I've ever played against personally. Um, 
tips the ball. He was not meant to blitz. He just saw that, you know, Gurley wasn't splitting out or wasn't coming out of the backfield. So he decides to blitz, tips the pass. Chris Conley does what he's learned to do his whole life, which is catch the ball, falls down, and, you know, the rest is history. So I gave way too much detail on that. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's all good. Yeah, I will never forget just the moment of him hitting the ground, turning and looking at the, the scoreboard. And when I, when I tell you that, the time stayed at three seconds for what felt like an eternity. So I just remember staring at it like, oh, my God, like, it's the time stop. Like we may get another chance to get another play. <laughs> and then after an eternity, another second goes by and it ticks down to two and it just reality set in. Like you just knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, and that was definitely on the field, the most devastating one because of the implications. We were so close. We knew if we won that game. We were playing Notre Dame the next week or a few weeks later. We knew we would have, you know, mopped the floor with, with the fighting Irish, but, that was definitely the, the toughest one, for sure. Well, you know, Jacob likes to ask the questions and get you all, you know, down <laughs> in the dumps Sorry. here. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm more of an upbeat guy, very happy. Yeah. So, for, from, from the depths to the, let's go to the mountaintops, I guess my mountaintop, which is uh, who's the funniest, man? We want to talk about that. Who yeah. in the locker room or what was the funniest moment or a combination of both? Because yeah. sometimes there's people you don't even know who they are or yeah. it doesn't seem that way. Man, the, the funniest guys by far were the guys who, like you said, you probably couldn't point them out you know, per se uh, on a Georgia roster unless you were like a diehard. So like if I were to give like a top five funniest guys, I, Brandon Wood would have to be in the top five, no question. Um, Josh Davis would be in the top five. Um Trenton Sturdivant will be in the top five. You can see there's a theme here. These are like yeah. older guys, guys who are older than me, but also guys who were in the trenches, linemen. Right. Um, <laughs> Shaq Wiggins would have to be in the top five. I mean, just <laughs> he, he, he was more of a guy you would laugh at sometimes, but he was also <laughs> extremely hilarious. Um, and then I'd say lastly, probably, probably Todd Gurley. He, he would probably be in there not because he was so hilarious, but because he was just the biggest jerk. Like, that you, he, he would be a jerk in the most inopportune times. Like, him and Trenton Sturdivant were similar in that way, and that they would say stuff that was just inappropriate. Anybody else would have gotten, like, said it, but it would just kind of, they would just kind of let it slide. And uh, they, they were definitely the personalities of the team. They, they, there were so many moments that, you could speak to that were like became inside jokes became just stuff that if I tried to explain it, you would say, Chris, that wasn't even funny, right. but in the moment were just hilarious and kind of lived, had, like cre kind of created a life of their own in the five years that, that I was in Georgia for sure. That's awesome. I have a final question. I have two short answer questions. I wanted to add in. Okay. All right. Yeah. Is Gurley the best running back in Georgia history? No question. Ooh, no all right. No, no question. question. Yeah, I, I know Hot that people, people think that's blasphemy. <laughs> people think that's blasphemy. I, I know everyone believes Herschel. But if I if I look at just overall ability, um, for me, and this is per, obviously this is super biased <laughs> because this is this is a guy who I block for, a guy who I've spent time in Bible study with, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I feel like if you just go off of pure ability, 
He's faster than he's faster than Herschel was. He, he's just as uh, elusive and breaks as many tackles. He actually could catch the ball, and he does kick and punt returns. So for me, if you go over just overall ability, Todd's number one. And then also if I look at just if he wouldn't have been sharing the backfield so much and also if he wouldn't have missed multiple games for injuries or for uh, a bogus suspension, I feel like the numbers would reflect it a little bit more. But his yards per carry were like insanity. And there were just too many moments that I saw in practice and in games where he just made me look way better than I was. Uh, so, so I have to give him credit for that. Like I'll never forget 20, 2012 when Gershaw was like at its peak and we were playing Vanderbilt. This was the week. This is like the day before I actually proposed to my wife. And all I was thinking about in the fourth quarter was like, we just got to finish this game because I'm scared to death because I have to propose tomorrow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I will never forget, like, we were running a power play. I had to pull around. We did that all the time. And when I pulled around, there was a linebacker in the hole, which I expected. There was a, a, a linebacker scraping over the top, which we knew we were leaving unblocked. And then there was a safety that was coming down that we knew we were leaving unblocked. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this linebacker. Todd's going to come through, probably get five, six yards. We'll get the first down. We'll kind of wrap it up from there. I block my guy. I feel him kind of run past me. And so I start looking to see, like, what he's doing. And I see that linebacker come over the top and the safety. And then another safety come by. And I'm like, okay, he'll get six yards, wrap it up. He breaks one tackle, stiff arms the other guy. And then outruns the third and makes it to the end zone for like 40 yards. And I remember just being like my mouth would have dropped to the floor if I didn't have a chin strap on because I had never (laughs) – I just didn't – it just didn't make sense in that moment for him to be able to make that play at 18 years old. So, for me, I I know that was supposed to be a short answer. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're good. You're good. (laughs) He is like – if you just asked me, he's the greatest running back in Georgia history, um, pound for pound, talent for talent, along with, you know, the accolades and ability. But I know Herschel is is the fan favorite. So. <laughs> that was good. All right, last question. Because we, we got a big game this week we're going to talk about. Yeah. The Georgia-Florida game. What was your yeah. favorite moment as a player in the Georgia-Florida game? Man, uh, wow, that is a great question. Um, so many moments – but I would say my favorite one is one that I had nothing to do with. And that was, you know, my, my fellow West Georgia representative um, Jarvis Jones making that clutch play in 2012 to knock the ball out when um, their, their, I guess, tight end was pretty close to scoring, getting yeah. into the end zone um, in that game and basically kind of sealing their fate when they were the number two team in the country. Um, like it, Jarvis did so many incredible things that season, and that was just, like, the penultimate one, I felt like. And it was so just – it was just the the complete representation of who Jarvis was. He's an effort guy, an incredibly smart player, um, but also one who came through when the moments mattered, mattered the most. Um, but I can give one piece of just little-known fact. In my entire career, this is rec ball – all the way through uh, college and my short stint in the league, which was like for two weeks. I had, <laughs> I had personal foul, personal foul 
penalties entire career from rec ball through two professional ranks. And all three of those were against the Florida Gators. So that just lets Love you it. know how much that lets you know how much I hate them. Like there's <laughs> there's a level there's levels to this. Like Georgia Tech, the little brother, whatever. Auburn, I don't like you because there's a rivalry there, and all my friends that I grew up with in the Grange love Auburn for some reason, even though we live in Georgia. Um, <laughs> in Tennessee, it is what it is. I, I just never really garnered much hate for them because they were never super like really a threat. But Florida, man, I, I just something just you know boils in my blood when I think about it. We got you on the right week then. This sounds like you know <laughs> exactly what we're, where you need to be. And I think we just became best friends because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate Florida. I think, so. I think so. Dude, well, thanks for answering our questions. Let's, let's dive into some games. Let's talk some yeah. football. We got a big week this week. Starting Friday night, we got Boise State hosting BYU in a ranked-on-ranked game. BYU looking like a, a wannabe playoff crasher. I don't think that'll happen, but yeah, Daniel, BYU is a three-point favorite on the road. Yeah, they, they're on the road, and Boise State coming in hot with these black jerseys. They're going to look really good in this game. It's a kickoff at 9.45 Eastern time, so nice late kick on a Friday night. A bunch of fun there. Um, you know, BYU has had a great year so far. Um, but if you look at their schedule, this was their test. This is their test for the year. And if they expect to be, you know, anywhere important at the end of the year, as far as a New Year's Six Bowl, something of that ilk, they're going to win this game. Um, and for that reason, I believe this game has been circled. And so any struggles you've seen in the past few weeks, I think may have been something of a look ahead for BYU, so I'm going to take I'm going to take Zach Wilson and BYU laying three points. Love it, Chris. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, um, Daniel. I was telling Jacob earlier. I don't understand the whole spread stuff. Uh, so, so my picks will more so just be who do I think is going to win the game. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, for this, I, I would definitely agree. Like I, I feel like BYU is in a position to, to win the game because they want to prove themselves. Like, they've been undefeated up until this point. Um, they believe that they should be in contention um, for, you know, the playoff. Like, whether that happens or not is, is you know, doesn't matter. I feel like for them, it'll be a, a, a kind of a show-me moment, and I feel like they'll rise to the occasion. And, and also, the first game that I ever played at Georgia was against Boise State. We wore a Power Ranger outfit. Um, and it was it was one of the, the greatest letdowns uh, of my career there. I still don't know how we like. I still don't know how we lost that game. Um, just I talented. was in attendance, and Jacob has that jersey. So. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, oh, I've, wow. got, I've got I've got a number eleven of that jersey in my closet right now. Wow. Yeah, I, I have mine in the closet too, and it will stay in there forever. <laughs> it's never, it, it's never coming out. <laughs> so, man. It, we were excited because we had new jerseys. Like, we hadn't worn black jerseys, and it was a big deal. But, man, looking back, those were not the best. And they were just so hot. Those were the hottest jerseys I've ever worn in my entire life. It was, like, made of a, a sweater. 
material. It was it was kind of crazy. <laughs> so for that reason, and and even more so because I think BYU is going to be um, excited, I, I, I'll pick BYU this game. <laughs> Heard it here first from Chris Burnett. It's because of those sweater jerseys that he's picking people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boys. Yeah, we're going all aboard BYU. Yeah, I mean, number this is their only test, right? But Boise State last week also, their starting quarterback didn't travel to the game last week for unknown reasons. So backup transfer quarterback from USC, Jack Sears, played really well. This is going to be his test as well, right? Second start. Their starting running back also went down in the game last week with a leg injury. He's not going to play this week. Their defense gave up almost 500 yards in their win. So, I like BYU here. Zach Wilson, legitimate Heisman contender at quarterback. So, I'll take the Cougars to lay the three points on the road. And they'll win out. They're, they're not going to get tested again the rest of the season. So, I like BYU to go undefeated. All right, let's go to the, the ACC, ACC country, rather. So, Virginia Tech and Liberty. In-state game, Liberty ranked for the first time ever, undefeated. But Virginia Tech, the unranked team, 14-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Daniel, you taking the hookies or the fighting Hugh Freezes? The fighting Hugh Freezes. <laughs> I love it. No, so Liberty, I mean, when, when Virginia Tech scheduled this game, I don't think they anticipated that Liberty would be ranked and they'd have a ranked opponent for this. Um, so – the 14 and a half point spread. I mean, I understand it from a talent perspective. Um, but as far as like, when, you know, winning, winning this game, I think is going to come down to um, outlasting Liberty. And I think that Liberty is really, they're going to be motivated in this game. Think, you know, uh, old dominion from a few years ago with Virginia tech, that game, old dominion had everything to gain and Virginia Tech had everything to lose, but they weren't motivated for it because they just thought they could roll the helmets out there and win that game. I don't necessarily think they think of it that way, but I think they're satisfied with winning this game and just kind of getting out of dodge. On the flip side, I think Liberty wants to do all they can because this is going to be some national exposure for them. Being in-state, you know, this, this is a big deal for them, especially as a program kind of on the rise. Um, and Hugh Freeze auditioning for a bigger job, ACC, SEC, both conferences looking on, you know, he's kind of rubbed that stink off of him of those allegations because he's been somewhere for a little bit and, you know, coaching, coaching well and, you know, winning cures everything. So I do think that Virginia Tech wins the game, but 14 and a half is a little rich. Um, I like that extra hook, makes me feel nice and cozy. Um, if it was less than 14, then I'd probably, I, you know, that's about right. A two-touchdown victory, a 10-point 10, 10 victory for Virginia Tech. So, give me Liberty and give me 14 and a half. Boom. Chris? Yeah, that makes sense to me, Daniel. Um, but I think, that, I think that point spread probably makes the most sense, like two touchdowns or so. But I refuse to pick anything that has to do with Liberty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For, for personal reasons, uh, we, we hey, won't get into you, that. Right? Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we won't get into that. But Liberty might be – they might be a little distracted because of um, their former president. I don't know. Maybe. You never know. But um, also, also, this is completely sidebar, but I, I just have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Virginia Tech. 
um, Brent Benedict, a guy that I played at Georgia with, went to Virginia Tech. And then, you know, who who didn't love the Falcons growing up didn't have some interest in Virginia Tech post Michael Vick. So probably had the moments of like, oh, Marcus Vick might be just as good as Michael Vick and right. all that other foolishness. So I will pick Virginia Tech um, in this game. Love it. So I think Virginia Tech wins convincingly. I hate the 14 and a half. Like, I'm with you, Daniel. If it was a 13 and a half, I oh, think yeah. I'd lay it no problem. Like, mm-hmm. but the 14 and a half just kills you that extra point. So I'm taking Virginia Tech to win convincingly. I think that Khalil Herbert has a big day. Um, I mean, Liberty six wins are against like North Alabama, Southern Miss, Western Kentucky, ULM, FIU. These aren't, you know, world beaters they're beating. Syracuse, who one of the worst teams in the ACC. So they're playing up against the big dogs. Virginia Tech's not going to let this one look close at home, but I'll pick Liberty to cover because that 14 and a half is just that hook. Hugh Free is going to get that hook. So <laughs> I think Virginia Tech wins by two touchdowns. Hate that hook. So I'll pick Liberty to, I'll take the points of Liberty. Let's go to the Big 12. We've got. The Texas Longhorns going up against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Texas, six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Both teams going to this game four and two. Daniel, where are you going with this one? When you're talking about a hook, I mean, hook them, you know. Texas (laughs) and West Virginia, one of these is, you know, West Virginia came into this year. You and I had very low expectations for them, Jacob. Um, And they're off to a four-and-two start. I mean, this is – a good matchup between these two teams. I mean, you know, if you just look at just the resumes, you take the names away, these are two equal opponents. Um, And something I like more about West Virginia than I do Texas, the run game. Um, Letty Brown has got almost 700 yards this year and eight touchdowns. I mean, he's playing well. He's from Philadelphia. He's a good, he's a good tailback. Um, He's averaging five and a half yards a carry. I mean, I think that, his balance with, you know, Jarrett Deggy, I think that that balance is good. Not, you know, it's the Big 12. I don't believe in favorites in the Big 12, especially Tom Herman as a favorite. Um, so I'm fading Big 12 favorites. And so that's, that's kind of a, a talking point for me. But, you know, if I were to ask you who is, you know, Texas's leading rusher, <laughs> would you have guessed it's Sam Ellinger? You know, he's – when a quarterback's leading your team in rushing, if he's not like Cam Newton or someone like that, I, I get worried about the lack of balance. They've won some of these games due to turnovers, due to different things like this. They haven't been gaining as much yardage. I don't have a lot of faith in Texas. Texas could absolutely win this game, but I'm definitely taking West Virginia in the six and a half points. Chris? That makes perfect sense, but I'm going to go the opposite. Uh, <laughs> Only, only because I can't name a player on West Virginia's roster. Uh, <laughs> I think Sam Ellinger is – I think he's a solid quarterback. I, I think people have a good time of kind of making fun of him because of the hype that came along with him after their, their win against Georgia um, a few years ago and him saying that, you know, the Longhorn Nation were back and stuff like that. But I do think he's a solid quarterback. I do – agree with you, Daniel, like in order for them to win, they'll probably need, you know, some things that kind of go their way. Um, but hopefully they'll come to the position. 
um, a, a talent and a skill that's taught. Um, a lot of coaches who are good coaches will teach, protect the ball, get the ball, protect the ball, get the ball. And I feel like in this game, that'll probably be the difference. So, um, and also coming off of a win against Oklahoma State, I think that they're, they're probably just um, kind of have that excitement and energy that comes off of that. And I do believe that momentum exists. Like when you come off of a win against a, a ranked team um, who is talented, it usually can can spill over a little bit into the next week. So um, I'll take Texas. Principal play here for me. Uh, Tom Herman is a dog. Take the points. Tom Herman is a favorite. Don't <laughs> don't lay the points. In West Virginia this year, uh, not only are they four and two, they're also four and two against the spread. So mm-hmm. I like the West Virginia's done really well against the spread this year. Tom Herman is a favorite. Fade that. I'm taking West Virginia for those two reasons. <laughs> so no, no stat analysis there. Purely principal play. Fade Tom Herman is a favorite. <laughs> so I, I like the, uh, the no one in the Big 12 deserves to be a favorite principal too. So uh, Big 10 is just one big mess of pretty good teams. <laughs> or Big right. 12, excuse me. <laughs> uh, well, let's go, let's, let's go to the Big 10. We got Indiana, who we, we picked to win that first game against Penn State right we here did. on the extra point. Um, we first point to the Indiana under the, table. That's right. Uh, so Tom Allen at home against Michigan. Michigan coming off of yet another loss to a rival <laughs> under Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Three-point favorites, though, coming into Indiana. Daniel, take us away. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be, you know, uh, fading everybody, but I just don't believe in Michigan either. I really got on board after that first week where they blew out Minnesota. Week two, Michigan loses to Michigan State. And not only is that your rival and you should be up for that game, but, you know, you're a better team, even if you don't believe you are. Like, they are far and away better talent-wise. And this Michigan State team came out and beat them. Now, Indiana, they, you know, they started off pretty hot. You know, Michael Penix Jr., having a pretty good year so far, um, kind of mixing in, uh, you know, the pass and the run game. Um, his He hasn't rushed for a bunch of yards yet this year, but he's been um, a threat, and I think that that has helped their run game overall. Um, but, you know, I just they're, – they're 2-0. They probably should be 1-1, uh, if we're being honest. But I just, I just don't believe in Jim Harbaugh or, like, the Michigan team – I'm probably being foolish. I probably should lay Michigan, you know, minus three. Um, but Indiana, home dog, man. I home dog. And so I'm going to take Indiana plus the three points and, you know, feel good about fading Michigan on this one. Chris? It's a great analysis. I'm fully confident I'm probably going to be, be wrong on every single pick that I make today. Oh. <laughs> well, luckily you're picking more with Jacob than with me, so that's fine if you're wrong. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really picking with my heart. I, f- I feel like with every one of these. Um, so with Michigan and Indiana, I'm, I'm going to go with Michigan um, solely because of Jim Harbaugh. I, I, I know that a lot of people are, are out on him. He has definitely underperformed uh, against his rivals, whether it be Michigan State, Ohio State. Um, but I have a soft spot in my heart because uh, Stanford was actually my number two school. If I didn't go to Georgia, would have went to Stanford. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh was there, along with Andrew Luck, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and I just know how much of a player's coach he is. And I'm sure that the guys are going to be uh, up to want to play to their fullest capability because of kind of the, the talk that there is around Jim Harbaugh and, and the potential for his future. Because I, I remember being in that same place in um, 2010 when there was a lot of talk around Coach Rick and his job, uh, really 2011, I'm sorry, around Coach Rick and his job when we lost those first two games and um, kind of rattling off 10 straight because we felt like we owe it to the coach to put in the most amount of effort we can um, to, to hopefully salvage his job. So I feel like they'll turn it around. And obviously, if they're not playing Ohio State or Michigan State, they usually win. So I'll, I'll go with Michigan. <laughs> That's good principle, too. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana's a good football team. We, we've, been, we've been real high on Indiana, but I'm going to go against them right here. I'm going to lay the points in Michigan. I, I think Michigan wins big. Like, I think it's not close. And they underperformed last week. They played really, really good in week one. Um, they beat Minnesota. Minnesota's defense looks pretty bad after, uh, after losing to Maryland. So, scares me a little bit. But Michigan's way more talented. I mean, I think talent's going to win this game. Indiana, even in their wins, I mean, they were outgained by Penn State, 488 to 211. Um, time of possession, 40 to 20. First downs, 27 to 16. They, they should not have beaten Penn State despite us picking it and getting the pick right. Very glad. But, I mean, statistically, they should have lost that game. And I think this can be another one of those games. And, you know, you don't win that game 99 times out of 100. So, they got their win. I'll take Michigan to cover. I think they won by two touchdowns against Indiana. Sorry, Indiana. I loved you in game one, but not in game three. Let's go to the Pac-12. Hey, first Saturday of Pac-12. You know, how fun. So much fun that they said, hey, players, how does a 9 a.m. local kickoff sound? Because that's what's going on on the West Coast on Saturday. This game kicks off Fox's big noon Saturday. Wow. I mean, Chris, I mean, question – what time did y'all have – like, how many hours before a game did y'all have to be up and, like, with the team before, before a game? Four, four to five hours, typically. Um, there was a reason why we hated noon games, because we knew we had to get up at 7 o'clock more times than not, because you had to be able to eat breakfast, you had to do your walkthroughs, to do any other, like, additional, like, hey, make sure that you got everything squared away on your test that you had from the night before. And then you'd have to drive to wherever you were going in order to get prepared for the game. And then, you know, kind of get taped and all the other stuff. So that sounds like a nightmare. Um, I feel like you're going to have to get up at 4.30 in order to actually be prepared for the yeah. game at 9 a.m. Uh, yeah, that sounds terrible. Crazy. Yeah, I was like, I, I got to ask Chris, how early these players are going to have to get up? Because I know it's hours before, you yeah. know. So <laughs> noon kick on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. Daniel, USC, my USC Trojans, <laughs> Pac-12, future Pac-12 champ USC Trojans, 10.5-point favorites at home to Arizona State. Where are you going with this one? Yeah, I wonder where you're going with this one with your, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, you always hear of Pac-12 after dark, which if we were going to talk about a game that we're watching, I was going to pick the Pac-12 after dark game because I'm excited that it's back. I like to finish my day after a long day of college football falling asleep on the couch to a Pac-12 after dark game and waking up to some nonsense. So um, this, instead of Pac-12 after dark, I mean, this is what, Pac-12 before lunch, Pac-12 brunch, if you will. So 
I don't, I don't know how they're going to be able to get up and get going for this game. I'll be honest with you. I trust Herm Edwards to get his guys jacked before the game a little bit better than Clay Helton. And I think that's a key. That's something you have to think about. These teams, if they played at 8 o'clock at night, <clears throat> you know, I think that that 10-and-a-half-point spread is actually a really good spread for this game because I do think USC is more talented. Um, and I think it, it'd be that kind of a game. But because of that, I'm going to take the points, 10-and-a-half points. I'm going to take Arizona State. They might win this game outright. I really like Jaden Daniels, their quarterback. Um, and I, I'm, it's, this is such a great week one matchup. It's like, you know, that when the NBA, if those weird years where they start on Christmas, like they might start this year, that Christmas Day matchup, you get a couple of good. This is like their delayed start. Hey, let's put two great teams together. Arizona State expected to take a step forward this year, kind of has a little juice behind it. And then USC potentially contending nationally. So great matchup here. Um, I'm going to take Arizona State plus the 10 and a half. Chris? Yeah, I really have no idea um, <laughs> because <laughs> there are so many things at play. In, in my mind, I think about being a player and getting ready to play a 9 a.m. game. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to picture that in my mind. You're just mad thinking about it. Yeah, like, it, it just <laughs> – that just sounds impossible in my, in my head because it, there's so much preparation that kind of goes into – the day before the game and the day of the game. I would love to – I love 3.30 games because that meant I could stay up till midnight, maybe 1 o'clock, because I know I'm going to sleep in till 9, and then I eat breakfast, and then I do my walkthrough, and then I'll get another nap. And I knew that, like, that was a way I could prepare. And I feel like they're just going to be so thrown off that it will either be, like you said, either talent will just rise to the top and that will be the deciding factor, or it will literally just be who's awake and who's like jacked up and ready to play in this game. And it's hard to determine that. Like I, I guess if I had to choose, I would say USC um, if it were just without considering the points. But if you take the points in the consideration, I go Arizona State. So I guess my, my pick would be Arizona State. You might be surprised to hear this because it is my Trojans. But, yeah, 9 a.m. kick. Yeah. I wouldn't take anybody to cover double digits at the 9 a.m. kick. No thanks. I think mm-hmm. USC wins. But, I mean, yeah, I, th- I, I like the Herm Edwards motivation factor. Like, I think he's going to be a better motivator than Clay Hilton. I think USC's talent is better. So, if there's points in the table, I wish we'd take over-unders because I don't know what it is. I take the under. Like, right. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. like a 17-10 game because nobody yeah. wants to be there. That or the defense are going to be really, you know, not want to be yeah. there. And then a five-yard run breaks off for 80. So, I mean, this could go either way. I'll just take points and play it safe. I think USC wins, but really curious to see 9 a.m. kick here. Well, we got two big games this weekend. I th- we'll save the bigger game for last, but I think the bigger one for this conversation is definitely the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Georgia, Florida, and it is in that order, Georgia, Florida. Yes, sir. Um, Georgia leads the overall series by 10. The last 12 years, both teams have had three-year win streaks. So, Georgia coming off a three-year win streak. Daniel, did the dogs get it done and make it four? You know, this is one of these games where, I mean, 
all right, I try to take my bias out of it. I really do. This is the team I love the most versus the team I hate the most. It's very difficult to do so. I'm going to try to, you know, put, put my objective hat on and try to be as objective as possible. Now, Florida, they've, they've got the edge at quarterback, and they've got a stud tight end in Kyle Pitts. Kadarius Toney, I'd be remiss not to mention him as a, a threat outside. I think that they have the explosion on offense necessary to hang with the big boys. I know that they don't have the defense yet. They played a good game last week against Missouri. I'm curious if kind of that whole sequence with Dan Mullen fires these guys up. Um, I know that they're missing a pretty good defensive lineman for the first half. So I think that that's a key. On, on the Georgia side of things, I mean, you guys are probably similar to me. I'm pretty frustrated seeing that we're still rolling out with Stetson Bennett the fourth. Uh, has to be something with JT Daniels not feeling, you know, all the way up to it. And, you know, I got a lot of questions about Dewan Mathis. Like, why is he not out there, especially if this is the offense we're running? I mean, shoot, give me the guy who runs a 10-2 in the 100 um, and and let it roll. Like, let's see, let's see what we got, you know. And he – um, he had a couple of good drives to start with and, you know, but I also have, as a Georgia fan would not want a Fatone Bouda situation to come back to bite me where you're starting a guy who hasn't played in a while or ever in that case. Um, that was a bad look. I like that they're going to stick with Stetson since they've already stuck with him. You don't change it yet. They're down at halftime. They might change it. All right. I say all that to say for Georgia to win, they need to score 28 points. I think that that's the number to get to. There's a big stat for Georgia, 30 points. If Georgia scores more than 30 points, I think they've only lost one game under Smart. Um, and I think if they give up 30, more than 30 points, I think they've only won one game under Smart, and that was the, uh, Rose, the Bowl. Rose Bowl. So, you know, the 30 points is a big deal. Um, I think Georgia only needs 28 to win. Now, I think that they can get there, especially if you look at how they played the first half against Alabama – <clears throat> I think Florida is Alabama light. Like they're basically diet Alabama. You know, they do the things that Alabama does. They don't have a Najee Harris in the backfield. And, you know, all of their talent is just a tick behind Alabama. They do things a little bit differently. But, you know, I think that Georgia wins this game. I think that Georgia has enough talent. There's going to be some guys missing. Richard LeCount, you know, prayers out to him. I know he's been released from the hospital. Um, and then, you know, Jordan Davis, uh, just a stout run defender. But 13, the past 13 years, the team that runs the ball for more yards has won this game. And if you're just straight up asking me who I think runs the ball more in this game, I'm going to take Georgia. And I don't really feel like that is any sort of a hot take at all. Um, all my questions are with Stetson and if he can get the job done. But you look at the first few games before the second half Alabama and then against Kentucky, and he was moving the ball pretty good. So I think he could see some resurgence, play a decent game, and then kind of get out of there with the W. So I'm taking Georgia, laying the three and a half. Chris? Man, uh, Daniel, I have a lot to say about this, but I'll try to keep it short. But similar to you, like I'm, I'm going to try to take my uh, bias out of this even though I hate the Gators and I love the dogs, obviously. Um, man, th there is just so much in play. I, I feel like it's very difficult 
for a team to lose, you know, arguably their best defensive players and win a game. Um, I, I just try to, I try to put myself in those shoes uh, and think about, you know, if we played a game in 2012 and we lost Jarvis Jones, or if we played a game in 2013 and we lost Alec Ogletree, or we played a game in 2011 or 2010 and we lost Brandon Boykin or something like that. How, how would we, or, or Justin Houston or something, like, how would we respond to that? Um, and I feel like it would be difficult when you're playing in a game that is so, there's going to be so much tension um, when you play Florida every single, every single time. Um, but with that said, I, I do, I feel like Georgia has the blueprint to, to win the game. Um, that's having a stout defense, which is clear that we have, um, but run and also running the ball. Um, similar to like you said, Daniel, like I love Fatone. Fatone was like by far the hardest worker I've ever seen in my life. Like I, I'm pretty sure he slept at the Buttsmere building. Like it was, it was to the point where coaches were telling him, dude, you need to go to the dorm. You need to leave. Um, but I agree with you in that it was a, it was a setup for him to fail. And I don't believe Curry's going to do the same thing in this circumstance to set Juwan Mathis or uh, JT Daniels up to fail. And I believe the blueprint is, was laid in 2011 when we were coming off of not beating Florida in quite some time. And that was the first of kind of that three-game win streak against Florida um, where we just hand the ball off to Richard Samuel like 100 times. <laughs> we ran power over and over and over. And even though we had Aaron in the backfield, like he, and he made some key plays and key moments, we, we hung our hat on running the ball. And I feel like if, if they make that decision to say, we're going to run the ball and we're going to play good defense and we're not going to beat ourselves, that they have a chance to, to slow down Florida's high powered offense. And honestly, I, I would never in the history of my life ever pick Florida in anything. Um, so, You're a so man after my own with, heart, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have to, I have to choose the dogs to, to win the game and, and uh, cover the spread as well. Was that year in 2011? Was that when Richard Samuel scored? Didn't somebody break their ankle on that play? Was it Dallas Lee? No. So Richard broke his ankle. He Richard broke his, broke his ankle. Yeah, oh. broke, yeah and we. <laughs> If you go back and watch the film on the la the play that he scores the touchdown, he's laying on the ground and Justin Anderson, who's the right tackle who plays next to me, like one of the strongest people ever, is like yanking him up off the ground. <laughs> and Richard is like, I, dog, I can't walk. Like, oh my god, I cannot walk. But it, we were so excited because all of us have, up until that point had never experienced beating Florida. 2010, we came out with the black helmets and the black pants, and Tim Tebow and company just, I mean, just kicked our butts. Um, so I feel like there was just a lot of emotion. And it was that same season where we were, we had lost the first two. We we're like, man, if we lose this, Coach Rick might be gone tomorrow. Um, so I feel like there's just, there's going to be that added motivation to want to play for Richard, um, you know, as he recovers this season, but it doesn't. From what I've heard, it doesn't seem like he will be. Um, and I, I hope that they can kind of pull this one out.
threw ever a doubt. But okay, so same thing. I took I took my I took my Georgia hat off, right? I did my stat dive that I usually do. And I'll give you the highlights. I won't bore you with every stat I look through. But I mean Florida has a better offense, Georgia has a better defense, and it's not close. Like it's black and white. And Georgia uh, they have no identity on offense right now. Like this is this is bad for it's a bad look to come off a bye weekend look that bad against Kentucky. Not a good look for Georgia. But let's let's go back. Daniel, you you mentioned it. Um, I mean, I only went back a decade, but the team that wins the turnover battle, eight and two. All right, team that wins the total yards battle, nine and one. But the team that wins the rushing yard battle, ten and zero in this rivalry. So you got to keep that in mind. Last year, let's go back two years. Two years ago against um, against Florida, Georgia came off of losing to LSU. Um, they you know, everyone's questioning Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm comes out and has his best game against Florida. Last year, Georgia loses to South Carolina two games prior to playing Florida. They play Kentucky the game before Florida and was the only one 21 nothing. Jake Fromm only went 9 of 12 for 35 yards. He comes out against Florida last year. goes 20 of 30 for 295, two touchdowns, 12 of 18 on third down. I mean, just like has his best game against Florida. So I just – I just got a feeling that we're going to have one of these, you know, don't doubt Jake Fromm games with Stetson Bennett. <laughs> He's just going to come out and do, do just enough to, like, keep the job the rest of the season. Because, Daniel, I, I like what you said. The team that can beat Georgia, like, Georgia can play this style of ball and beat almost everybody in the country. The teams that it can't beat are ranked one, two, and three right now. That's Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Like, those are the teams Georgia can't beat playing this style of ball. Um, I also just love the coaching matchup. Uh, as head coaches, Kirby Smart's 3-0 against Dan Mullen. Average score in those games was 30-12. to uh, If you go back to when they were offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, uh, Mullen's offense only averages 11.2 points per game against Kirby Smart's defense. I just think Kirby's got his number. And just like last year, everybody's picking forward to going to this game. I think Georgia just does what it has to to win. And – only three and a half. I like Georgia by a touchdown. So I can win like 31, 24. I like the dogs. Let's go to the let's go to the biggest game of the weekend. You got a top four matchup. Notre Dame hosting Clemson, playing for the first time since the 2018 college football playoff, where Clemson just wiped the floor with Notre Dame in that game. Clemson a five and a half point road favorite despite not having Trevor Lawrence for this game. Daniel, you, you picking the upset or are you taking the Tigers? <clears throat> Uh, neither. <laughs> Excuse me. My goodness, the Irish. I said that wrong. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, I, I I, think that well, – you, you said it right, picking the upset. Yeah, no, no, no I did say it right. Thank you. What yeah, I'm saying yeah. is <clears throat> I'm picking Clemson to win by one point, and I think Ooh. that Notre Dame is going to win is gonna win with the points. Now, um, I know this, this might seem just – crazy and there might be people think looking into this and saying oh he's just he's gonna pick them because trevor lawrence is out and that's it dj uyunglele he is he is the next guy and would be <clears throat> the third or fourth best quarterback in the nation if he was on another team but he's just got to sit and watch this year for most of the time so the fact that he gets two games to showcase his ability i think he's gonna have a great game notre dame at home a home dog. I love a home dog. Like I said earlier, that's kind of a principle you'll see with me. 
five and a half points I think is a little rich because I think that Dabo is completely satisfied with a backup quarterback to win this game by absolutely just one point. I don't, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be a one point game necessarily, but it's going to be less than five and a half if Clemson wins. I think that Notre Dame can run the ball, and I think they will. Um, Clemson's defense still a little bit young. You saw that last week uh, when they struggled with Boston College. Boston College was able to do a few things to them. Um, Ian Book provides good balance. I love having just that senior quarterback. Um, you just can count on them. You, they've seen the game. I think he's a playmaker. He's going to be good. You know, as a he'll be a backup in the league when he goes, but I think he's going to hang around. He's a smart dude, can make some throws. Um, I like this offense, man. And so I think that they'll kind of be able to go blow for blow with Clemson. They might even have a lead on Clemson. They'll be at home. And then, you know, Clemson, I do expect them to win. But give me the Irish and give me the five and a half. Boom. Chris? I like it. I have nowhere near that level of depth of analysis. Uh, But I can say that. Clemson didn't look good last week. Um, I I didn't expect them to look as bad as they did. Like, I know Trevor Lawrence is one of the greatest um, talents at, quarter, at the quarterback position that we've seen in quite some time, maybe since Andrew Luck. I don't know. Um, and he's a, an incredible difference maker. But Clemson talent-wise should have never been in the game that we were in last week. Um, but I, I do feel like, when you can take all this stuff into consideration, Notre Dame is always overrated. Um, always. Like, I don't, I can't think of a time, at least not in my lifetime, at least, where I've looked at them and said, man, you know what? They're actually better than what they're ranked. Like, I feel like they're always maybe a notch below that. So I don't think they're a top four team. I don't think I mean, I don't think they're a top five team. I do think they're probably a top 15 team. Um, but in this game, I feel like not having Trevor – having, you know, a week of the backup quarterback kind of having that experience to come into this game. I feel like he'll be able to hopefully get the job done. Um, so if you were to ask me um, who, who I pick to win the game, I, I would probably have to go with Clemson just because of just from a talent perspective and from a coaching perspective, it is hard to, to kind of pick against that overall. I went through some matchups. Right, like how, how does Notre Dame actually stack up against Clemson? Like besides quarterback. Um, like running back, Clemson got the better running back, right? Offensive line, I'd give edge to Notre Dame there. Uh, wide receiver, I think is a wash. Defensive line, Clemson. I'd give linebackers and safeties to Notre Dame. I'd give corners to Clemson. It's so like they, they, actually, they actually stack up decently well with Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, you could almost say, I mean, I'm not trying to hijack your moment here, Jacob, but the running backs is almost a wash if you're going by production. Like Kyron Williams has had a good year so far. Oh, he about has. the same amount of carries, 103 to 105, and then yardage 606 to 600. Uh, ETN has two more touchdowns, but, you know, very, very similar. And this was something Notre Dame was missing last year was running game. So, sorry, but I, I would say almost a wash at running back. No, you're good. I mean, they're they're playing – Notre Dame's playing Georgia football right now. They're playing really good defense. They're running the dang ball. And they've got a quarterback who – well, Priestetson Bennett, but a quarterback who's safe with the football, right? He's not like a threat. 
But Jake Fromm, what did he not do? Turn the ball over. What's Jake Fromm didn't do? And Ian Books, not really turned the ball over this year. So he's getting better and better. And it comes down to me, like just like the Alabama-Georgia game, do I trust Stetson Bennett to go on the road and beat Alabama? No. <laughs> so we picked Alabama. Uh, do I trust DJ Uyangalale to go in there and beat Notre Dame? No. Like I, I, I kind of whisper no. I don't think he can. It's really hard to go undefeated. Clemson has done it two seasons in a row before the pre-playoff. They're going to lose a game eventually. It's just feeling like one of these recipes. that It's setting up for a loss, right? So I'll take the points at home with Notre Dame. I don't know if they went out right, but I think it's a really, really good game. And so, yeah, I'll take a home, I'll take a home team with some points. I like that a lot, like you said, Daniel. I'll take Notre Dame and I'll take the five and a half. That's it. We got our picks in. We'll see how we do on Saturday. Chris, thank you so much. It truly was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure as well. You know, that's the the word of the day for sure with us being here together. So I'm just glad that I had a chance to chop it up a little bit with you guys and, and talk college football. That's, that's always a good day for sure. Daniel, any final thoughts? I mean, yeah, this is this is by far highest profile guest we've had so far. And, uh, you know, hopefully the first of many. And, you know, really appreciate it, man. You're a great dude. And this was this was fun. We definitely got to do something like this again sometime. Of course, yes. It, whenever you guys will have me, I'd be more than happy to, to join back again with you guys. It's definitely been fun, like you said. And um, I feel bad that I've been the most high-profile guest because I'm <laughs> – uh, profile at all <laughs> so hopefully i can convince some some better guests to, to join you guys <laughs> dude you're a legend i'm about to get me a custom like 68 off- georgia jersey humble like an offensive lineman man you know you guys pave the way and then yeah. you know you're paving the way right now and then in a few weeks when we get todd Gurley on here all right yeah. i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> right but hey right. that will do it for this edition of the extra point be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook at the extra point pod he is chris he is daniel i am jacob see ya